0: Thank you, mate. It must be hard for people who have to live in the fishbowl of the public eye, where everybody knows everything about your life. I think that must be really, really hard. Because it means that every little thing that you do is noticed. You might remember this little chap. His grandmother, no, yes, his grandmother's birthday. Uh, Look at him. He's bored out of his wits. Prince George doesn't know what to do, he knows he has to be there and the cameras are clicking away bored as he takes in the scene. Now this man of course, this young man is a man of uh, uh, lots of great facial expressions and you can find them online if you want to, uh, about all the times he's been bored throughout his life. But here is him alongside his father. In fact, Uh, this is his father, uh, William, and William equally looking bored some years beforehand. And they're both looking bored together. But uh, last time you looked bored, nobody was taking photos of you, were they? Because you don't live in that same sort of fishbowl. And over recent times, of course, this particular family to which these two young men belong has been found to be incredibly dysfunctional. I don't know if you've read the book. I'm not planning on reading the book and Harry can do what he wants with his book. But we've found out, haven't we, that the family is incredibly dysfunctional. Today we turn to another dysfunctional family. The family begun by God in the person of Abraham. The family that would become known as the nation of Israel. The family from whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Which leads us to ask this question, how do I get blessed by God? People have been asking this question for millennia. How do I get blessed by God? People have done it in various ways. They've sought to bow down to all sorts of statues and gods in order to retain fertility in the ground or in their own body or whatever the case may be. Or they've used religion to run various activities in order to receive things from God, or so they thought. And as Graham read for us earlier, and as Mark prayed for us earlier, the book of Hosea in our small group Bible studies has been teaching us that the people of God turned to other gods when they felt as though they weren't being blessed by the one true God. We want to ask this question, how do I get blessed by God? And the question today in our nation, how do I get blessed by God, is slightly different. We all want to be blessed, but we live in a secular nation of Australia that's largely dispensed with God. So we don't ask the question anymore, how do I get blessed by God, but just how do I get blessed? We all want to be blessed. And in the end, we rely not on God or statues or religious Uh, Religious activities or other gods, but on just studying hard, working hard, getting our own intelligence to the maximum effort we can, or working as hard as we possibly can, and then seeing that it was us who brought about the blessing in the end. But the question still stands how do I get blessed by God? It's a universal question that everybody for millennia has asked and what we see in these chapters is how we are blessed by God we see it in the life of Jacob we'll see it in four different scenes and i need you to grab your bibles and make sure they're open in front of you today because we're going to start in chapter 28 we're going to go through to chapter 31 and see four scenes Jacob's ladder Jacob's marriages Jacob's children and Jacob's prosperity and it might raise a few questions, so slido.com is the place to ask and answer those questions. Uh, and I'll answer a few of those a little later on. Before we begin, though, I'm going to pray that you're not going to be like Prince George in this time. At Youth Group on Friday night, we talked about being members of the church. And I, uh, we had no youth group leaders that were female because they're all up at Katoomba, which is great. And uh, so I had the young year six to eight girls. And we were talking about what church is like and they all said how boring it was to sit through those very long and complicated sermons that they don't like. So let's pray that we're not like Prince George at this time uh, or those year six girls. So I'm going to pray for us that I might be interesting. We might have hearts to listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father be with us as we look at your word just now. And we pray that you us, help us to put aside the things of the day so that we might see you more clearly and your character towards us in the Lord Jesus And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, we come to Genesis 28 to 31. And we are reminded that right throughout this section, the thing that links everything together is the promises of God of land and offspring and blessing. The lob promises that were given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and passed on to Isaac, his son, and then passed on to his second son, Jacob, in less than upright ways. You might remember Esau sold his birthright and did not receive the blessing because he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And as a result, at the end of chapter 27, Esau is out to kill his brother, Jacob. And so Jacob's mother sends him away. He says, because your brother is trying to kill you, go to my brother's house, Laban. He lives in Haran. Now, from where they were living, Haran is some... 500 miles away. And I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be Jacob who would walk 500 miles to arrive at Laban's door. You can sing it later if you want. (laughs) I thought about singing it. I thought that's a bad thing for everyone. It's not a blessing for anyone. And on the way to Laban's door, 500 miles away, he has a dream from God. Commonly known as Jacob's ladder. We see it there in uh, chapter 28, 28 from verse 10 through to the end of the chapter, the part that Pete has read for us. Jacob goes to sleep and he has a dream of a ladder or perhaps a staircase. Either way, it doesn't matter because the angels are ascending and descending up and down this ladder and it's an interesting picture. That's the nature of the dream. A ladder set up, it connects earth and connects heaven and angels are going up and down the ladder. Now what does it mean? Well, because this ladder or staircase connects heaven and earth, many people have said over the years that this is a means for us to attain heaven. That all we've got to do is climb the ladder to heaven, climb the staircase to heaven. There is a connection between heaven and earth and all we must do is take the steps. And of course, when we live good and uh, and when we live with good deeds, we take steps up the ladder. And when we do bad things and sin, we fall down the ladder. But that is definitely not what this image is teaching us. See, better to think about it this way. I want you to imagine the, uh, le- the ladder connecting heaven and earth uh, has the angels ascending and descending on it. As it says in verse 12... But imagine they're carrying something with them, a couple of shopping bags, as they come up and down that ladder. See, what they're doing is they are bringing from heaven the blessings of heaven down to this earth. It's a picture of God blessing his people and showing off his glory to the world. This is how Jesus understood this section of Scripture. Look at what it says on the screen in John chapter 1. Verse 51, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he's about to do the many amazing things that he would do, look at what it says. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened like Jacob did, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This all happens before Jesus conducts his very first miracle of turning the water into wine. In other words, the angels will be at work in blessing Jesus to allow him to bring heaven. To earth and do the things that only God can do. Here is a picture in Genesis 28 of the blessing of God coming up and down out of heaven to bless Jacob, which makes sense. Verses 13 through to 17 tell us that these are the promises that will be made to Jacob. And we see a restatement of the lob promises, land and offspring and blessing and everything that was given to your father Abraham and your father Isaac will also be given to you. But that won't be all. Look at verse 15 of chapter 28. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. picture of the ladder is a picture of blessing blessing coming from God to his man Jacob he will give him the promises of his forefathers and he will give him his very presence with him throughout this time and you have to ask why why is it that Jacob receives this blessing from God well it's not because Jacob had a good sense of morality we've seen that haven't we over the last few weeks and we'll see it in the next few moments as well It's not that Jacob had a good social conscience and was an upright standing citizen in his country. He wasn't. We'll see that in a moment as well. The reason that Jacob received this blessing up and down the ladder, as it were, from God himself is nothing more than the grace of God himself. It is only by God's grace that Jacob receives this blessing from God. And we'll come back to this in a moment. But it does not stop the deceiver, Jacob, being a wheeler and dealer, even when spoken to by God himself. He realises when he wakes up that God was really with him. And yet he can't help but do deals. Look at verse 20 of chapter 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if, if. God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Notice, he doesn't just make a vow. He makes an if-then vow. I'll only do it, God, if you do these things for me. Even when being blessed by God, Out of God's sheer grace for him, he cannot help but sin against God. Nevertheless, this picture of Jacob's ladder going up and down out of heaven with the angels full of carry bags down of blessings from God is a picture which dominates the rest of Jacob's story in chapter 29, 30 and 31. Let's have a look at that together. Having seen Jacob's ladder, we move in 29 verses 1 to 30 to see Jacob's marriages. Well, he was re-energised for his journey, and he continues on his way to Haran. And finally, just a a few miles out from Haran, he meets Laban's daughter, Rachel, his cousin. And he greets her, and she takes him back to her father's home, to Laban's home. And we're told that uh, Jacob begins to work for Laban. And there's a discussion between them as he's about to work for him. What will we pay you for the work you're about to do? Come with me to chapter 29 and verse 15. Chapter 29 verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. So stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, it's so nice. It's so lovely. Now, I don't know what was wrong with Leah's eyes. What does that mean, that her eyes were weak? I don't know. But what it means uh, is that clearly she was not loved and Rachel was loved. She was beautiful in form and appearance. And so those seven years went so quickly. And finally, the wedding feast comes along. And usually in that culture, the wedding feast lasts for a few days. And in the middle of the wedding feast, there's a feast beforehand. And then there's a time where there's a, the consummation of the marriage, where the husband and the wife are allowed to sleep together in their tent. And then the party continues, which seems very awkward to me. But anyway, that's the story of what happened in those days. And as that's about to take place, Jacob goes to his tent, ready to sleep with his wife. And then we see that when he wakes up in the morning, he, the deceiver, has been deceived. Look at verse 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Now, I've got lots of questions. Have you got lots of questions? <laughs> I've got lots of questions. Lots and lots of questions. So uh, here's what happens. He sleeps with the wrong woman. Now, how does that actually happen? First of all, we're told that Jacob knew that Rachel was beautiful, at least in his eyes, whatever that actually meant, and Leah was not. But all of a sudden, whether it was perhaps for the darkness as a reason, or perhaps she had a veil over her eyes, but more than likely, the word feast also means drinking in verse 22. It's likely he's got no idea what's going on. This is a messy picture, isn't it? A very messy picture. And then you see in verse 26, the real kicker from Laban, look at what it says, verse 26. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the first one. Does that ring any bells from what we've heard previously in this book of Genesis? Last time we saw a deception between the older and the younger, Jacob came out on top. And now he's getting spun around. By his uncle Laban. Jacob's own deception has come full circle. He's now married to Leah and he didn't know it. Well you say, how's that going to work? Well he ends up marrying Rachel as well. Laban says, I'll give you my daughter Rachel as well. You just need to wait another week. Then you can marry her. But then you need to work for another seven years for me. In order that you might marry her as well. This is a miserable, miserable picture. Which takes us back to the ladder. The ladder was God's promise of blessing to Jacob. But at this moment in his life, he doesn't seem very blessed. Or it did two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, it seemed like his life was on the up and up. He's about to be married. And then all of a sudden, within two weeks, he's now got two wives. And one of them he doesn't even love. Jacob's sin has come home to roost. And everything is miserable. And you can imagine the tension in the household with these two wives that don't like each other because one is loved and one is not. Where is God in all of this? What is God doing? He promised to bless Jacob and this does not seem like blessing at all. Now sometimes we're the same, aren't we? Sometimes our own sin comes home to roost as well. Sometimes we receive the consequences of our sinfulness. And we need to understand that this side of heaven, God never ever promises to remove the consequences of our own sinfulness. But he does promise to forgive. He does promise to remove the condemnation, but not the consequences. He, like he said to Jacob, promises us to walk through those things with us. But sometimes our sin has deep consequences and comes home to roost and even lasts for the rest of our life. And sometimes we're left asking the question, where is God in all of this? He promised me blessing, blessing to the whole world through this family and to us. But where is he when the consequences of my sin continue? But you need to understand this, like Jacob. If you know the Lord Jesus, you have received the promises of God. And there may be long-term effects of your sinfulness in the past or even in the future. The consequences may live on. Indeed, God may continue to discipline you for the outcome of greater righteousness. But he will never leave you. He will never condemn you. He will never punish you for your sin. That's what the cross does. The cross punishes Jesus for our sin. The cross condemns Jesus in our place for our sin. And though we feel the consequences and the discipline and sometimes the misery of our own sin in the past and still in the present and maybe even in the future, this does not mean that God has left us. God was still with Jacob, even though he was a messed up character. God promised to never leave him and God would never leave him. And he will never leave us, for he's promised to be with us. We'll see that in just a minute as well. We turn from his marriages now to to his children, Jacob's children. Starting at chapter 29, verse 31, we go through to chapter 30, verse 24. If you think it was hard enough for Jacob to have two wives like this, one that he loved and one that he hated, it's about to get harder again. Verse 31 of chapter 29. Look at what it says there. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. God opened Leah's womb to have children. The one that was not loved would have children. And here we see right at the beginning of this section, God's love and compassion for the lowly and humble, for the unloved. She is able to have children. We see this same theme through the New Testament, don't we? That the humble will be exalted. That the lowly are the ones who are loved by Jesus. That those who are poor in spirit to those is the kingdom of God. Now, we just need to be clear here. God's compassion (coughs) remains true today. But His compassion on us is to deliver to us eternal life in the Lord Jesus when we humble ourselves. It is not right for us to draw a straight line between our own experience and this passage. As if to say, God's compassion must always result in us having children if we're struggling to have children. There is no straight line here between those two narratives. Another way of saying this is, if you find yourself in the difficult situation of not being able to have children it would not be right for you to say that your barrenness is a result of your ungodliness that you weren't humble enough like Leah that's not what this passage is saying see the difference is God's people here Jacob was promised children none of us are made that promise by God and so we cannot say what he is doing but we can know this The character of his compassion towards us in Jesus is the same character. And we must humble ourselves before him and know that we will always receive forgiveness and eternal life in him. We can't draw a straight line between one and the other. Nevertheless, God is the one who opens the womb of Leah. And she has four boys. Straight up she has four boys. First is called Reuben which means the Lord has looked on my affliction. Then she has Simeon, which means God has heard my prayer. Then look at what she says about Levi in verse 34. It's heartbreaking. Chapter 29, verse 34. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. That's a depressing name, isn't it? Maybe my husband will love me now that I've given him three sons. But it wasn't the case. Finally, she has a fourth son named Judah, which means praise. Meanwhile, though, chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel is still not able to have children. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, Am I in the place of God? who has withheld, you from the, uh, with, withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then Rachel said, Here is my servant Bilhah, going to her that she may give birth on my behalf, even that even I may have children through her. If it wasn't complicated enough, now there's a third woman in the picture, Bilhah, and they, and they have two children together. Dan, which Rachel names Dan because God has judged me and heard. And then a second boy, Naphtali, which means I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. (laughs) Well, Leah, she can't have any more children. Verse 9 tells us when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, what did she do? It's messy. She took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Now there's four women in the picture, it's getting worse. And Zilpah has two children, Gad, which Leah names Good Fortune, and Asher, which which, uh, Leah names Happy. I suspect both of these had nothing to do with rubbing it into her sister's face. Imagine having those children running around. Oh, my name's Happy because I can have children and you can't. It's horrendous. Still, Rachel's got nothing. We're told in verse 14 that Reuben, the eldest of all the children, Leah's firstborn, comes in with mandrakes, a plant, said to have the ability to bring about fertility and conception in a woman. And Rachel says to Leah, Can I have some of those mandrakes, please? We know what it's for, don't we? She wants to get pregnant. Look at verse 15. Chapter 30, verse 15. Or the sentence just before. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband would you take away my son's mandrakes also rachel said all right then jacob can lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes this is really messy and horrible isn't it verse 16 when jacob came in from the field that evening leah went out to meet him and said you must come into me for i have hired you with my son's mandrakes so he lay with her that night and look at what happened God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. This is really, really messy. Getting out of control almost, isn't it? Verse 19, Leah gets a sixth son. And Leah conceived again and she bore a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons and she named him Zebulun. Afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Finally, after all of this, Rachel is given a son. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another So this is a messy situation, isn't it? Jacob came down to Laban's house by himself, and now he's got four women, 11 sons, and at least one daughter that we're told about, most likely more, and all of this is a very undesirable situation. None of this is something that we should aspire to. There is no character lesson here that we must learn. We must be like Jacob and have all these wives and children. No, that's not what this passage is saying. And yet we go back to the ladder. Remember what the ladder was telling Jacob? Angels would ascend and descend down the ladder, bringing their shopping bags of blessing from heaven to earth for Jacob, bringing the promised blessing of God. And that's what we see here in this passage, in this messiness of the fighting wives and the children from different mothers. And God is still working. God is still giving his promises to his people. God is still bringing about his purpose in the midst of sinfulness. He is blessing his people. God promised to bless the whole world through this family and so he does. In the person of Jesus, through his death on the cross, we find that there's blessing going out to the whole world. And even in that situation, God uses the sin of people who would take Jesus and crucify him to bring about his purposes. Now we have a problem with this, don't we? We say, well, if God planned it, doesn't that negate the responsibility of the sin? No. Those who hung Jesus on the cross are fully responsible for what they had done. Jacob is fully responsible for his sin and these women for their sin as well. And yet, God used their sinfulness to bring about his purposes. So that now, as Jacob, after 20 or so years of working for his uncle Laban, is getting ready to leave, he will head back to his own land with many offspring. And as we'll see in our last point this morning, he will return as a very blessed man. The last section of our passage goes from chapter 30, verse 25, through to the end of chapter. 31. And after he was deceived about his wives, now Jacob is back on top again. He goes in chapter 30 verse 25 to his uncle and says, Look, I've worked for you for a long time. I'm going to leave soon. What will my wages be? And they work out a plan. Jacob says, I'll take all the speckled sheep. You take all the white sheep. Seems a plan. Well, then Jacob deceives into influencing the breeding cycle. He takes all the strong sheep and breeds them with his so that he can have a strong bunch of sheep and his uncle can have the weak ones. And then we're told that when they go down to the water to drink, Jacob puts a rod in the water that's supposed to influence the breeding cycle. Like the mandrakes were supposed to influence the human breeding cycle. On this occasion, though, the plant works. Although we see in chapter 31, verses 5 to 16, that it works only because God allows it to. There's no magical powers here. God himself is the one who stands behind the prosperity of Jacob. So that we read in chapter 30, verse 43, the very last verse of that chapter. Thus Jacob increased greatly, had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. So as he gets ready to leave, Laban, who greeted him with a kiss, does not farewell him with a kiss. Instead, he tries to attack Jacob. But even in this attack, God keeps him safe. Chapter 31, verse 24, God looks after Jacob by giving Laban a dream to not attack him. And so at the end of this section, as he leaves Laban's house, He heads back to his own homeland, yes, with four women, yes, with 11 children, or 11 sons and other children, but also with a prosperous amount of property as well. We go back to Jacob's ladder. God has been working in the life of Jacob in amidst his sin for the last 20 odd years, bringing blessing from heaven to earth for his people. And he returns to his land blessed by God with offspring and being a blessing to those he will return to. So as we finish, it gives to us this final question for ourselves as we return to our question. How do I get blessed by God? Well, we see how we get blessed by God in the story here of Jacob. Jacob was blessed by God by doing nothing. In fact, less than nothing. He was blessed by God, all of grace from God to him. In fact, in our modern day and age, Jacob would be counted out of any sort of blessing because of the nature of his sin. But with God, this is not the case. The blessing of God comes by the choice of God in spite of the sin of the people. And this is true of us. The blessing of God in his promises comes to us by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, you and I need to remember if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're Christians, if we know Jesus, then we have been given the blessings of God. You need to know that if you're a follower of Jesus... That very same ladder that is a metaphor in the dream for the blessings of God coming down from heaven is a a working staircase for you. It's just that it's not always what we hope for. When we ask the question, how do we get blessed by God, all sorts of things come to mind, don't they? We want to be blessed by God in our work so that we can be materially prosperous. We want to be blessed by God in our health so that we can have a long life. We want to be blessed by God with our ailments, fixing our illnesses so that our body will work properly for the maximum amount of time. We want to be blessed by God in our relationships so we can have an upstanding and clean family life. We want to be blessed by God in our efforts in life so that we won't be ostentatious about it, but we just get a few treats on the side because we deserve it. But though if you receive any of these things, you are blessed by God to receive them, they are not promised by God. They're all given by God, but none of them are promised by God because we're looking in the wrong places. Nevertheless, the blessings of Jacob, the blessings of Jesus Come to us. Look at it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Look at what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's none left on the shelf. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus belongs to you if you're a follower of Him. The ladder, the staircase... The angels ascending and descending is working in overdrive for you if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus. The blessings of God in Christ are forever at work in your life if we have the eyes to see it. Not material prosperity, long life or a work or a good family or, or, or treats in our life. These are not the blessings that God promises. He promises something far better. And he's already given them to us. And he continues to give them to us day after day. Think of a list like this. We've been chosen by God. We are holy and blameless in his sight. We're loved by God, adopted by God, redeemed by God, forgiven for every sin by God. We are given the knowledge of God's eternal plan. We are part of God's eternal plan. We are given the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We are united with Christ. And that's just the next 10 verses in the book of Ephesians. Let alone all those other shopping bags of blessings that the angels deliver to us day by day by day by day. Look at a couple more on the screen. Matthew 28 verse 20. The same promise that was given to Jacob is given to us. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Romans chapter 8. There's heaps in this chapter, but I've just chosen uh, these, these couple of verses. What shall we then say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave us up for him all. How will he not graciously give us all things? How can you be blessed by God? Well, come to Jesus and you will be blessed by God. Immeasurably more than you can imagine. And so then go into this week. Praising God for what he has given to us. Putting off the sin in our lives in his power but understanding that even if we do sin, we walk confidently into this world, confidently into our families, confidently into our workplaces, confidently into the rest of our lives. Understanding we don't seek blessing from there because God has already blessed us in Christ. Well, there might be a question or two that you'd like to ask about those Four chapters, there's a lot there that we've covered. I'm going to spend uh, 90 seconds waiting for a couple of questions and then uh, I'll come back and answer a couple and we'll sing our final song. another question coming through. Please keep asking, but I've got just two here. Uh, two here. Do we receive the blessings of God now or are they stored up for us in heaven? Um, I alluded to this, but there's two different kinds of blessings from God. All the things that you have are a blessing from God. Everything you have is a blessing from God. Uh, it's just that the things that you have are not promised as blessings from God. So there's no reason why every single Christian should not have a All the same sort of financial benefits, or one Christian should be better off than another, or like we saw in the case of children, why children come to one and not the other. That is not a question uh, of of deserving it in any way, Uh, but they're all blessings from God, all of those things that happen in our life. But the one thing that God does promise to each and every believer is the uh, spiritual blessings that we have now in Christ. Uh, but are are stored up for us in heaven as well. So there's there's a little bit of now, a little bit of not yet on those promises, but we have all of those things in Ephesians 1, 1 to 15. We have them now, and we will receive them finally as well in heaven. Um, So don't hold God accountable to the blessings that you see other people have, because that's not the ones that he promised. Uh, Hold him accountable to the ones that he has promised, which he's given to you in Christ, which is uh, a great thing for us to remember. Final question. Does our sin... Prevent us from receiving God's blessings here and now. Uh, No, no, that's the story of, of Jacob. There is a view out there that says once you become a Christian, you better live your life pretty well because God's going to judge you badly at the end of your life. Good luck for Jacob then. But he's described as a man of faith in the Bible. So we're not judged on the basis of our works, it doesn't happen. It's just wrong theology. Uh, We are saved by God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. And so our sin does not prevent us from receiving those blessings from God. Uh, Those blessings from God come all from grace. And that's the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, And that's why we can sing together. And so we're going to do that just now. Uh, Let's stand and sing our final song.